complaining about Argentine services, welcome to Hand of Pod. to episode 331 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined this week by English Dan. Hello and welcome. And Andres. Hello. Welcome back, gents. Uh, Not only are we complaining about internet services and television services and telephone companies, uh, but we're also complaining this week, rather more relevantly, about the national team. Mm. We may as well dive straight in. There are, of course, no Superliga results to tell you about, although we'll have a very quick roundup a bit later of the main Copa Argentina and uh, women's first division action that's been going on over the weekend. Uh, well, and, and during the week as well, we're currently watching a Copa Argentina match as we record, which is oh, it's just about to finish, isn't it? It's something. I think it's the best way to yes to put it the kindest way. Um, but we will, of course, be devoting most of the time to the men's national team friendlies. Mm-hmm. Um, which, as I said, we may as well get stuck into straight away. Argentina lost 3-1 to um, Venezuela in Madrid. I almost said 3-1 to Madrid in Venezuela, which would have been possibly a more interesting fixture yeah. uh, for both reasons, both the venue and the opponents. Um, and then beat Morocco 1-0 on Tuesday night uh, in Morocco. Um, I should mention, wait, hang on, before we go any further, that we're sponsored, of course, we're sponsored by Fanatis. Uh, who allow you to watch Argentine football, specifically the Superliga and the Copa Argentina from abroad, outside Latin America. You can get a discount on your first three months of Fanatis if you're a Hand of Pod listener. All you have to do is check out their service on fntz.co slash hop and then use the discount code HOPFZ or HOPFZ if you're American. That will get you 20% off your first three months. Um, If you're in the United States, then you can also watch Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, La Liga, Ligue 1 and various other competitions via their service uh, through their tie-ins with BN and uh, the other one, Gold TV. Mm. Uh, Libertadores and Sudamericana and the other stuff are only live, but the Superliga and the Copa Argentina, regardless of where you are in the world, are available both live and on demand as well, so you can catch up if you miss a match. Uh, go and check them out at fntz.co slash hop. Um, and now we will get on with the national team. Yes, let's. Argentina-Venezuela, we may as well take it in chronological order, in spite of the fact that Lionel Scaloni would prefer us to ignore the Venezuela match, his uh, statement after the Morocco I mean, yeah, if you take that game out, then if, if we they ignore, were perfect, 100%. If we ignore the Venezuela friendly, then this tour would be one of the games, yeah. Um, the Venezuelan friendly did not go well, however. It did not. No, not at all. Um, it was a fairly strong, I think, Argentina team on paper, but set out in a very curious manner. Um, ostensibly, a kind of five, a three slash five man defence, depending on whether the team was going uh, forward or backwards, which ultimately turned out into a very weird hybrid with. Uh, with 
Gabriel Mercado and Juan Foyt in the middle. Lisandro Martinez playing left back just in front of Nicolás Taliafico, who is a left back but was kind of playing left wing back despite the presence of, of another left back. It was all very strange. The team didn't click at all. The, the defence was uh, atrocious. I don't think there's any kind of way to say it. Um, nothing really worked and uh, I guess the the most um, the easiest way to show the team's general malaise was the fact that even Messi looked like a mortal in that team. He, uh, we often say, you know, he's, oh, everything good Argentina does is because of Messi. Kind of, they just look for him and and uh, wait for something to happen. And yeah, nothing really happened. No. I think that. Uh... What we watched the other day was a clear example of a team evolving uh, and another devolving. Um, you, you, could, you could watch uh, Venezuela playing at this and Argentina trying to be something. Uh, they are still looking, of course, uh, with San Paoli being the head of that search. Um, and it was, of course, it was painful because uh, even when you can't uh, surprise that much, Uh, you, we were uh, watching somehow these things in Argentina uh, national team. Well, uh, it's like a limit, perhaps, or something. Something that tells you, well, this is really, really uh, big, um, and it, it shows, I think, the lack of work. Not, I mean, I mean, not the, the lack of time, because it, that is something that happened to every team. But, uh, for example, Mercado trying to mark. Rondon, um, knowing that he's not that fast, and Rondon means so easily getting rid of him to score, that tells you something also. Hmm. Um, And it's getting worse, and at least in the World Cup, the guy leaving Argentina defenders in the dust was Mbappé, who was pretty much the quickest guy in world football. Now, Rondon, that's definitely uh, um, a step backwards. Well, Rondon has been doing decently, not... No, no, I'm joking, you know. Yes, of course. He has scored, I think, nine goals for Newcastle in 25 games, which is not oh, what a what a, a great scoring rate, but it's decent, I think. Hmm. Um, yeah, I thought Venezuela were—they're not brilliant. They, were, they didn't come into the game in particularly good form. They lost a few days later, two-one to Catalonia in their other friendly. Um, so we're not talking about world beaters, but they had a clear shape and a clear plan and executed it well yeah pretty much everything that was missing from Argentina whereas as you say Argentina started with this weird thing which when it was first announced it was a back three and in fact I think it was a back three for about the first 17 or 18 minutes by which time Venezuela were was it 1-0 or 2-0 up already uh, they went 2-0 up uh, at 44 minutes in so yeah around halfway through the first half and it was 1-0 um, they, Argentina sort of seemed to try to switch to a back four um, But really, Venezuela didn't have to do an awful lot. It was just soak up the pressure, which was, apart from the, the flashes when Lionel Messi got the ball in some space to run out and was able to combine a few passes, was fewer for, you know, there wasn't very much pressure for them to soak up. And then trying to hit them on the counter-attack, which they did quite effectively. Yes, moving the ball a bit was... I, I, that, that first half, recall, or at least it reminded me of Uh, the first half between Defensa Justicia and Boca. You, you, you watch a team that they really wanted, uh, knew what to do. Another that he was like expecting. 
Mm. Uh, um, and um, yes, um, the second goal, apart from, I, I don't like to perhaps tell uh, uh, individual mistakes or, or mistakes that are very, very like little, but uh, in the second goal, when, when they, the, there was no, no players blocking the ball and, and Venezuela played it fast. And after that came the second goal. That was really, really incredible in ter terms of, of, of uh, you, you play in first division and, and, and in national team, you can't, uh, that's something that can't happen. It's simple like that. Yeah, indeed. Um, Lisandro Martinez, I thought, in the first half was the only one of the three centre-backs who actually did himself justice, which was... Yeah, it's not saying a whole uh, amount next to the other uh, two guys who were catastrophic, but... Yeah, hell design, I guess, yeah. Indeed. Um, match. And I, I wrote a blog post, my first proper blog post Ooh. for absolutely ages after the game. Uh, partly because I was sitting in the pub waiting an incredibly long time to get to play pool. Um, because it's very annoying when you go in there on a Friday evening and there are people who've never seen a pool queue in their lives and decide to have a go. Mm. Um, so I started just uh, drafting stuff on my phone. Um, and I wrote a blog post. And the, the basis of it is that Argentina have got the wrong manager, but that's not... Lionel Scaloni's fault Argentina no. had the right manager as recently as three years ago it seems like a lifetime ago uh, it was actually two and a half years ago that they forced Gerardo Martino out by not paying him for six months and then refusing to release players for the Olympic squad um, and every manager that Argentina have had since him has been the wrong manager or at least at the wrong time, perhaps. Yeah, I contest that for Sambali. Um, was the right manager. He was pretty much unanimous when he took over, and he was the guy they wanted when Martino left. But he came in at the wrong time. He pretty much had a, a thankless task, really. And, and he did the wrong things. And he, made the and he did the wrong things. Yeah, he panicked. He listened to the wrong people. I think. And and I continued and to not understand. You know, I was okay. I'm a Man United fan, but I was a big supporter of Sergio Romero long before he was ever even linked with Manchester United. I, I continue to not understand why when you're switching between Franco Armani against Venezuela and then you play Esteban Andrade and you bring him off after 66 minutes to replace him with Juan Musso. You know, clearly Scaloni isn't sure who his first choice goalkeeper is. When it, it's the one position, apart from who, who to give the number 10 shirt. To. Marconi, who is the goalkeeper, I think you said... Yeah. Uh, well, you say, showed a graphic before the... the um, Morocco game started yeah with, with Marconi in, in goal and, and then they said oh it was the host broadcasters who made a mistake which I mean it probably was but you know just own it uh, well, I mean, and not showing it to the country and not he jumped when, with two minutes to, 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 to go uh, hmm. what can you prove or test in those two minutes yeah no exactly I mean and, and just the fact that he doesn't appear to have a clear number one and you think there is a clear Argentine number one yeah. One, he's never let Argentina down. It's not as if he's turning 40 or something anytime soon. Um, and as he himself said in an interview a couple of weeks ago, yeah, okay, he hasn't played an awful lot of club games, but it's never affected his national team form before. Um, it just seems so self-willingly damaging. It, it seems it when Sao Paulo did it, and it seems it now. It, it's one of the positions that Argentina shouldn't really have to worry about, given the... I'm not necessarily saying that Romero is the best goalkeeper in the world, but there is a massive gulf between him and the, and the second best Argentine goalkeeper, whoever that might be. Um, and, and I don't understand why they don't just solve it by saying, yeah, you know what, maybe we'll just call up our best goalkeeper and put him in the team. Yeah, I think though that's the general problem, you know, beyond the names who could be on the Argentina team. We know that in goal, there's a, a couple of guys to choose from, defence a few more, midfield... 
maybe a bit more stable. You've got Paredes, Lo Celso, but no one seems to know how exactly to play them, if they're attacking players, if they're holding midfielders. The real issue is that we've had eight games of um, Scaloni, and I've broadly been supportive of at least what he's trying to do kind of up to now. He, he recognised that the team did need an injection of fresh blood. He tried some players out, uh, had some okay results, I guess, um, along the way. But the fact is, you know, we're in... In March 2019, there's less than three months to go before the Copa America, and this the time for experimenting, the time for for trial and error is past. Like, mm. If you can't play these last two friendlies with at least a starting eleven, which is 90 percent clear, uh, what the hell are you even doing? Um, it's, it's it baffles me to be honest. At least. Um, and now it seems he's he's even less sure about his squad than before. There was a line he said before the Morocco game, he was 80% sure of the squad he was going to take to the Copa America. And then after the game, he said he's now down to 70%. Mm. Because the players have made him doubt more. And I can only think that that's not in a positive fashion, in a negative fashion, because no. there's a lot of players who would have probably been... Um, expected to make the cut who've kind of shown over, over the last couple of games that they're probably not up to the task the question is so the, the logical question to follow on from that then Dan if I can just interrupt you for a second is who who do we think those players are we don't know we don't know Scaloni has used 47 different players in these 8 games and I think only but in the two in the, sorry in the two games just gone he's used fewer, fewer players than that so who are the ones who've probably or potentially played themselves out of the squad if we can find alternatives for them which is a pretty big if at the moment it's a pretty big if yeah um, let's look on the bright side I'd say out of this call up Ladar Martinez has cemented his spot if there was a little bit of doubt before I think that would be fair he linked well with Messi scored um, one of the only goals was yeah. perhaps a bit unfortunate not to did, did, actually he scored the goal against Venezuela didn't he yes. he did um, yes so uh, yeah, that, that was a decent performance. The assist yeah. was the assist was from La Chelsea, I think. It was. Yes. Messi first La Chelsea. Gave it on, exactly. off from Chelsea, and La Chelsea yeah. put in a very nice pass for. No, him. I'd say Andrade is probably nailed on one of the backup goalie goalkeeper spots at least. On the basis that he took a couple of good goal kicks against Morocco. He made one save as well. I remember. I saw you saying it he wouldn't make much difference. It hit straight out and it kind of bounced off him, but at least it didn't go in. You know, mm. we take these little victories. Um, yeah, apart from that, from these last two games, it's it's kind of difficult to remember, like people who maybe were on the on the brink and now, I mean, now could be in this. I, I would few. agree. I would agree that Lautaro Martinez has played his way into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Lionel Messi is is you know we know that he's going to be involved if he's uh, um, if he's willing to be involved. Uh, I would say that Giovanni Lo Celso probably did enough. Um, again, in that what was all round a very disappointing performance um, against Venezuela. Ah, uh, Kahneman is probably one who's, who's proved himself. He, he came he in all right. Yeah. Um, and Matias Suarez with a few forward. touches. Only a few <laughs> touches. Yeah. Well, kind of, but I mean, again, anybody defensive who played against Morocco, I just think mm. they didn't actually get much of a. You know, so, uh, no, I think that's solid enough. Gabriel Mercado and Juan Foyt ought to be sweating on their places now on the basis yeah. of their performances against and I wasn't, uh, Venezuela. And I wasn't impressed with but, Montiel, to be honest. I don't 
he's been all right at local level, but I thought he did get shown up a bit in both games. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the same, although particularly against Venezuela, it, it didn't get any protection at all. Uh, he was playing right, well, no. he started off on right, mid, right midfield slash right wing back and then got moved to right back when Argentina switched but then to back forward. No Argentina fullback in the last 20 years has ever had protection. No, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> this is something they have to live with, basically. Absolutely. Um, we, we must stick with so Sarabia right, there. Right back is still a big question. Nicolas Tagliafico yeah. obviously is, you know, I think nailed on at left back. Yeah. And Actually, Sarabia, yeah. Sarabia, Sarabia probably enhances chances of making it just by not playing and not exposing himself. Mm. So he did himself no, yeah, no harm there. Um, Saracha, who had an incredible fifteen minutes, according to Scaloni, incredible. Yes, in spite of the fact he shouldn't have been playing that game because Scaloni said he wasn't going to use any racing or defensive DCA players in the match against Morocco because he wanted to keep them all fresh for the title running. Um, but then after not using a single racing player for the first game, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> decided to. Bait, so, yeah, I mean, which is another example of just how joined up the thinking is for Argentina. And I'm just having a look at the lineup now against Morocco to remind myself properly. Um, I mean, I guess, if anything, we've learned that what Herman Petzela, he was the captain, for God's sake, against mm. Morocco. Which, if you'd said it to me a year ago, I would have thought, really? I mean, yeah, <laughs> decent centre-back. He probably deserves to be in the squad, and I've got yeah. no problem with that, actually. But captain perhaps, of this country... Just perhaps seems... Scaloni took into account that he's the captain of Fiorentina, whether, where, where yeah, the, the, the former captain uh, died and, and, and the, his teammates... Chose him as, as the captain, but if he, that's enough. Maybe they just drew straws in the dressing room and the short straw got the captain's arm in. Mm, could be. Um, Leandro Paredes just seems to be a fixture regardless of how little he does in these friendlies for Argentina. Yes. And the others <laughs> against Morocco. I mean, Guido Rodriguez was, I, I think, that if, if, if people didn't know him uh, with, with this match, uh, they continue with not knowing him because. Yeah. He made, I mean, in the first half it seemed like Paredes had been told to play as the deeper line midfielder and Rodriguez had been told to push forward a bit more and practically every time Rodriguez touched the ball it was to give it to an opponent. I mean, he kept either overhitting passes or underhitting passes or just hitting, weighting the pass perfectly but playing it to where they just to where there was a Moroccan player waiting for the ball perhaps and no Argentines within 10 yards. Perhaps the feeling with players like him was... This is my opportunity, and I must take it. And it was a lot of pressure, or, mm. or uh, anxious from him himself, putting a lot of pressure for uh, uh, because uh, uh, unless there is another match fixed, but which is un- unlikely because uh, uh, officially this is, this was the last friendly. Yeah, there's been um, there are rumors apparently going around, which I saw tweeted during uh, the Morocco match. Um, that Argentina, the AFA, sorry, are trying to secure a friendly against Japan in Buenos Aires before leaving for the Copa America. Um, they haven't made a decision. Well, I mean, I guess because they haven't actually secured it yet, but they haven't. It, it could be played in River, it might be played in Boca, or it might be played in Belice Stadium. Um, but of course, if that friendly gets played, it's going to be like a, a farewell before going to the tournament, you know, the traditional. Um, bidding farewell to the fans, and therefore it's going to be ne- it's going to happen after the squad's been. We well, have to be Copa right America. before the Copa. Precisely, imagine, yeah, it's got to be in the field. Japan aren't going to come across the Pacific, no, twice. go back, and then come back to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be part of their warm up, you know, their final warm up. Precisely. Um, but the other player who against Morocco, I just thought, I mean, again, we know this guy's going to be in the squad, but I've not yet seen him do anything to justify that fact. It's Paulo Dybala. Who, who we know, we know he's what, not going to play yeah. when Messi's playing. We know that he has to go along as a backup for Messi because mm. he's kind of the most similar 
player that Argentina have got. And yet, every single time he has given the chance to do something for Argentina, no, just he doesn't do anything. Bullied out the I, game. I was there when he got sent out, off yeah. against Uruguay in um, in the World Cup uh, qualifiers in Edgardo Balsa's first game in charge. Mm. It's, it's what is he at international level? He's reminded me of it's Carlos Tevez, yeah. who, who was brilliant during his club career, but every time he got called up for Argentina, didn't really do anything. And yet you've got loads of people, whenever Tevez wasn't called up, going, oh, why isn't Tevez getting called up for Argentina if he doesn't get on with Messi? I don't understand why the same thing doesn't happen with Dybala. He, he should be left out of the squad and they should just let people go complain about the fact that he isn't in the squad, <laughs> but not actually call him up because he's crap for Argentina. How brilliant is it? I should qualify by saying that Tevez did have some good years with with the national team oh, yeah, at the I mean, start after yeah. after about the 2006 World Cup he didn't really do anything no, I'd say 2010 like he was alright at the, t- the mm. 2010 World Cup then after that he he kind of fell and out they wouldn't be so, so surprised if Tevez Tevez has been improving no, Tevez isn't going to come back I wouldn't be that surprised because he has been improving no. a bit his level don't even say it don't even joke about it Andres Dear let's listener, not go there if Tevez gets joke. called up for Argentina listeners be surprised don't, don't listen to what Andres and blame Andres and blame Andres <laughs> I mean, in terms of the media, yeah, sure. They have a lot of influence and they'd love a Boca player to get called up. But, um, no, I'd, I'd be quite shocked if it did happen. Yeah, but, but the rally is a funny one because it's not just um, international. I've watched him recently for, well, in the Juventus team. Mm. He's, he's kind of fallen out of the, the starting lineup. He's playing a lot of the bench. and Yeah, I don't know what's gone wrong there, to be honest, because he's got talent, obviously. He's, um, he's a fine player, but... I don't know if he kind of lacks the personality to to be in a team like Argentina, or or he's just not quite as good as everyone thinks. And when he's not playing against uh, Serie A teams who are all bribed, of course, to let Juventus win the title every year, it's a different prospect. Um, I don't know. I can I can only speculate. Yes, yeah. and Apoz lawyers that wasn't. No, no, the, the lawyers. I, I don't think. I think we've got a pretty strong case. If anyone complains about that statement, true, so true. Um, Paredes is, is the other one. I mean, no one seems to know what he is. <laughs> he, he, well, num- he, he started I mean, off as a number 10, a second striker. And yeah, exactly. So for Boca, people he was decided he's now a deep, you know, a deep lion playmaker. He, he went to five. PSG, which, which of course happened to Giovanni Nocelso as well. He went to PSG and they tried to turn him into a defensive midfielder and it yes. went disastrously in the Champions League against, was, it Barcel- was that the Barcelona one when they lost 6-1? Or was it one of the other ties? Uh, I remember going anyway. Um, one of the... One and now he's at Betis being a playmaker again and playing really well. Yeah. Um, and, and then we put is... back into double five and he played terribly. Well, Paredes, yeah. Paredes started being like, uh, I think we, we, we mentioned it here. Uh, well, he began playing here. Yeah, I just said it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, let's, let's try and listen to each other, boys. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's not the first time this has happened. Uh, and I think it's exacerbated. Yes. It's exacerbated by the... I don't know whether this affects the way that the coach is thinking about things. I don't know whether the coach is thinking about things. Um, but it, 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 he's not in a vacuum. I mean, he's aware of the conversation that's going on. And it seems to be a very Argentine way of looking at it, as much as a media way of looking at it. This idea that there has to be an out-and-out defensive midfielder. Mm. And people arguing, you know, on say or on ESPN's... Uh, talk shows and I'm guessing on Fox although I try not to watch Fox because I don't like them um, and certainly on the direct TV ones that I still have access to for another few weeks before I move flat as well um, you know but people are saying who should Argentina's defensive midfielder be mm-hmm. and I haven't seen anybody going 
should Argentina actually have an out-and-out defensive midfielder? Because if we look at most, you know, European national teams, most of the national teams who are trying to play modern 21st century football, mm-hmm. it's increasingly a position which, or a role which doesn't really exist. You, you say, you know, you want your central midfielders to all do that bit of the game together mm-hmm. and then to get forward, you have much more mixed roles in, in the form of one player. Yeah, totally. Even here in Argentina, I think that role is becoming a little more fluid if I take... Hence the arguments about who it should be, right? Yeah. That's why there's not one Javier Mascherano-like figure now straddling the earth and making it clear that he's the number five that they need to pick. No, exactly. To take one example, you know, just off the top of my head at random, Rassi, um, who play with uh, Marcelo Diaz in kind of that most withdrawn role, but he's not kind of a, a defensive midfielder, you say, in uh, the most traditional senses, because mm. at times he'll drop between the centre-backs forming a front three or push even further up and and players, you know, an orthodox centre midfielder and there's a lot of flexibility in that. I mean but what I saw uh, from Paredes and Lo Celso against Venezuela is just kind of so static, so kind of tied to kind of that position they've been they've been assigned and afraid to do anything. There's kind of no dy- dynamism, no no flexibility there and it's just very hard to watch they're kind of midfielders that didn't attack nor defend they just were there yeah. and that's clearly not what someone wants to happen but that, I think that's also a symptom <coughs> of a team that just really doesn't know what it's, what it's doing we saw the same in um, in the World Cup I think just a lot of players out on the pitch buzzing around without really any clear purpose. Hmm. It's similar to what's happening with right and left midfielders, I think, because you have the uh, what Argentina is trying to do with uh, Montiel uh, and Tagrafico, or um, it was Lisandro Martinez against Venezuela, yeah. and then, uh, well, of course, players that go all, 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 all uh, by the side, and then uh, you have the uh, the traditional enganches which, which play more in the, in the, in the borders. Hmm. So you don't have any, any right and left midfielders anymore, similar to the defensive midfielders, perhaps. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting way of looking at it. Um, you've just reminded me as well, by the way, talking about the left side of midfield, um, that uh, we, we did have one sort of... It, it was kind of impressive, but it wasn't so much an impressive performance as an impressive impersonation. Um, Gonzalo Martinez... Ah, yes. Who Beautiful. has become, congratulations MLS listeners, I think that I'm correct in saying, the first current MLS player to play for the Argentine national team. <laughs> you should hear that really weird noise in the background, by the way. I apologise. There's not much that we can do about the noises that uh, Dan's neighbours are making. I don't know whether the microphone's picking up or not. Uh, Dan's just switched. Yes, nice one. I've closed the window. I mean, it's going to do okay. something. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so Gonzalo Martinez has, I think, become the first active MLS... Or current MLS player to play for the Argentine national team so congratulations MLS listeners and of course in particular Atlanta United fans um, but he would, he did so directly replacing Angel Di Maria who was injured um, in training what a couple of days before the Venezuela game something like that yes. and um, he did a remarkably good impression of Angel Di oh, Maria oh it was fantastic I mean uh, at times I had to kind of just look at the team sheet and make sure that wasn't Di Maria because it was Uncanny, really. Just it wasn't good. I mean, he didn't play a good game. No, I mean, but, but uh, the sheer volume of useless crosses yeah. that found opposition heads or went too long over the back—that's um, a skill. I mean, 
you know, I thought Di Maria was was a master at it, but uh, there's a lot of potential there for for Peter Martinez for sure. I think a little more, a little bit more practice, he could be firing pointless crosses for Argentina for for years to come. And finally, Scaloni again. If we ignore the Venezuela game, the tour went well. But the other thing that he said in the same interview, when asked, was this the system after the Morocco game? Kiss the show. Was, oh, what do I know? You lot are more obsessed with the system. <laughs> now, on the one hand, the press like to talk about formations as if they are the be-all and end-all and ignore the fact that it depends on what you're telling the individual players to do within those formations. That actually defines how a team plays and all the rest of it and lots of other things that any of us who play football manager on a regular basis will be fully aware of. Um, but on the other, is that an entirely healthy and or helpful relationship uh, or opinion, I should say, for a manager to hold? No, not really, is it? Um, because it's if you know if someone else said it, you know, um, say a Pep Guardiola or a Bielsa, someone with an actual track record in football, if they were asked, you know, specifically about their formation for an upcoming game, you could say, oh, yeah, fair enough. But for someone who has absolutely no um, no experience, no skills to on any trophies to back him up, to kind of be given uh, to be criticising the press for this kind of thing when there really is no clear sign that of how he wants to play. It's it was a little bit much. Um, I mean, yeah. he just beat Morocco one 0 in possibly the worst game I've seen the national team play at least since the Venezuela defeat on Friday. Mm. Um, but no, but for a long, long time I haven't seen such a desperate foot, uh, international football match as that one. It was just abject. Yeah, it was dour. And um, yeah, I don't think it's the time to be um, to be giving it the the big one uh, to the press. I think a little bit of humility and kind of keeping your head down was was um, was in order after this mini tour. Hmm. I think that every time it is said that uh, the coach could be fired or could resign or, or could be changed, we lose time. And and, and it's, I think at this point. The coach is the less important. Of course, it's important, but I mean, he he can call up players that are available in the, in the of course in Argentina and abroad in Europe and even in the MLS or Mexico. But uh, uh, provided that there aren't that number of players that used to be in the past, uh, no, I think that for example, when Martino uh, was. Uh, uh, became a, a runner-up with Argentina in 2014. That was a great opportunity to make that project deeper, not to for him to. Well, of course he resigned, but because of the problems or, or differences with the with the uh, directors of the AFA and that and that stuff. Uh, and and it is like losing time, even more time every every time that the, it is said that the coach may ch- may change um, instead of. Trying to fix a a a a, 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 project, a real project with with players from all all of the country all around the country and perhaps not uh, not uh, think a bit about the results because we are of course now thinking about Copa America and whether Argentina is strong enough to win it uh, and then you you have in the in the in next year the the qualifiers 
Mm. And it's not that a lot of time. And another Copa America, of course. Uh, yeah. Yes, another Copa It's not a Wait, lot of which time. Which is the final of which is going to be played right here in Buenos Aires, so no pressure there no. as well. It's not a lot of time, and it, it looks like it, it was, but it, it's not. Mm. <laughs> I agree. Um, before we get too gloomy and start to tear up my statement in particular of last week, that maybe Argentina were contenders for the Copa America anyway because everybody else on the continent was crap. You know, I, I thought, well, do we have to revisit that? And I've just had a quick look down through some of the other South American friendly uh, results of the last few days. Uh, Colombia on Friday laboured to a 1-0 win over Japan. Um, Ecuador lost 1-0 to the United States on Thursday. South Korea beat Bolivia 1-0. Of course, we already knew that Bolivia were pants, but there we go. Um, Uruguay beat Uzbekistan 3-0, which is... Far and away the best South American result that you're going to hear from this. Peru-Paraguay, two South American sides. That finished 1-0 to Peru. Um, Chile lost 3-1 to Mexico. We're going to be coming back to Mexico in a couple of minutes. In in a couple of seconds, in fact. Brazil, on Saturday, drew 1-1. Did you hear about this, guys? Yes. With Panama. Panama. So, maybe that puts Argentina's results into a little bit of perspective. You know, Brazil aren't all that great either. Then they defeated the Czech Republic 3-1. They did, yeah, 3-1. I think after going 1-0 down, I think they were 1-0 down at half-time maybe. Yes. Yes. And Brazil Um, have also still only lost one game under Tite. Oh, San Paolo's first game in charge. No, the World Cup quarter-final. That's two then, because San San Paolo's very first match in charge was a friendly in Australia, which Argentina won 1-0. Hmm... Possibly. What and a competitive match, though. Someone, that sounds right. Someone got that wrong, then. Yeah. It could be competitive. Uh, Uruguay got a 4-0 win on Monday. It was against Thailand. So, well done, then. Um, Venezuela, as I said, after beating Argentina, lost 2-1 to Catalonia in... I, th- I think that game was played in the Camp Nou, but actually, I'm not sure. So, let me just check. Yeah, it doesn't have the stadium mentioned here. Um, that was the game in which uh, Gerard Piquet told the fans not to chant anti-Spain things Bolivia lost 1-0 to now this is not a South American side but of course they are a side who are taking part in the Copa America Japan Colombia lost 2-1 to Colombia uh, no to South Korea which is gets worse South, that would have been bad wouldn't it um, Argentina beat Morocco 1-0 Czech Republic lost 3-1 to Brazil as Andres said uh, Chile and the USA drew 1-1 and now the last two which really are bad um Peru got what one of our occasional listeners, Brian Bertie, who's based in Peru, um, called possibly the worst result in Peru's history. They lost 2-0 at home to El Salvador. Um, One of those games, goals was in the 94th minute, and it was the first shot on target that El Salvador had in the game, because uh, El Salvador's first goal was an own goal. Um, And Paraguay lost 4-2 against Mexico oh, they came back a bit they were 3-0 down at one point I think yeah which I saw Ralph Hanna tweet during the game it was the first time that sorry it was the second time um, that Paraguay had conceded three goals to Mexico outside Mexico the reason that I'm mentioning Mexico of course is that they are the national team who are now managed by the person who could have been still managing Argentina today <laughs> if the AFA hadn't for some reason taken against him for I don't know trying to do his job competently and expecting to get paid on time um, so well, it was a match where the coaches were former news players, both. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I have not spotted that link. Well done. Uh, anyway, on that note, we're going to take a half-time break. When we come back, as I said earlier, 
We will take you through some of the results from the Copa Argentina and the Primera División Femenina uh, since we last recorded. And we will have a look at some of your listeners' questions. Don't go away. Obviously, no Superliga matches played um, since we last recorded. We're going to talk you through... We're not going to do the, the second division and the lower divisions of the men's competitions uh, this week because we talked about it a little bit uh, a week or two ago and no doubt we'll talk about it again um, between now and the end of the season, especially once the Copa de la Superliga starts and we have fewer top-flight games to talk about. Um, but we will go through the Copa Argentina, as I said, and the women's first division. The Copa Argentina, first of all, it's seen some interesting results. San Martín de San Juan beat Villa Dalmine uh, last Wednesday, more or less as we were recording, 1-0. Atlético Tucumán also beat Platense by the same scoreline um, that same evening. Gimnasia needed penalties to get past Defensores de Belgrano de Villa Ramacho after a 0-0 draw. Lanús beat Huracán de las Heras 2-0 also on Thursday. And then on Saturday, Godoy Cruz 2, Deportivo Armenio 1. Sunday was probably the biggest result that we're going to discuss, though. Um, Newell's Old Boys lost 2-1 against Misha Mitre um, of... Fel A. Oh, I was thinking provinces. Do you know where they're from? Yes. Mitre, yeah. Santiago del Estero. Ah, right? ah, it was the Santiago del Estero version of Bicha Mitre. Okay, I thought it was one of the other ones. Possibly, um, but yeah. But yeah, Federal which is third division. Uh, and Hector Bidoglio stood down after the game. Um, this means, I saw somebody tweet a statistic that was something like, since the Superliga became the Superliga as opposed to the Primera División, mm-hmm. so in other words, since the beginning of last season... Um, you know, it was supposed to, part of the whole thing with the Superliga was, oh, we're going to get clubs to take more of a long-term view, they're going to be more responsible financially, we'll come on to that in more detail in a few minutes, um, and, and, and take a more sensible view of how to run a football club. <laughs> Since that happened, the average of managers losing their jobs, top flight managers losing their jobs, has been almost exactly one per round. We are something like 43 Three rounds in, was it? How many rounds were there of the championship last season? It was 27 last season, wasn't it? 27. We had had a 28-team first division and everyone played everyone else once. That's 27. So far this uh, season, we have had uh, 23 matches. So that's 50 rounds, right? And there have been, I think the stat was 43 or 44 managers have lost their job in that time. (laughs) Um, Which is remarkable. I mean, Newell's are pants. Yes. Um, and Vichy from what we heard deserved the win as well it wasn't like it was a smash and grab and, and there you go um, there was one I smash I, have to admit, I didn't actually see the game but, but what I heard about the match was, was that it was a deserved win um, and then the other two games Tacheres de Cordoba didn't take any chances and absolutely did not dick around with Deportivo La Ferrer um, La Ferrer <laughs> see Peter Capusotto pronounces it La Ferrer yeah. I don't know whether that's a local thing maybe um, but uh, having you know I, I'm mostly familiar with the area of La Ferrer 
uh, via Peter Capusotto and Isus Videos, <laughs> which Argentine listeners and those who watch Argentine television will be familiar with. Um, and so I'm going to pronounce it that way. Fair enough. And um, just now, as we were recording, I mentioned that we were watching a Copa Argentina game that had just finished, or, or that was just about to finish. Uh, that one ended Sarmiento de Junín nil, all boys two. That's an all Bay Nacional clash, I think I'm right. No, all boys in the metro. Ah, they went oh, down. They are last season, they I think. Went down. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't actually say the score between Tacheres and La Ferrera, by the way. It was 5 0 to Tacheres. So at least we have one top flight side who actually are taking the Copa Argentina seriously. Um, anything to add about any of those results, gents? No. Oh, the Newell's no, thing, really. you, you wanted to add a bit of colour to that. There was a bit of fun and games here from the Visha Mitre fans, I believe. It's one of the, one of the two, who uh, during the match decided to throw a toilet cistern at one of the players on the pitch. Was it not the linesman? Or possibly the line. I saw it coming from behind the goal, which would make more sense unless the linesman was ah, okay. behind the goal. No, in that case, I've got the, the, the angles mixed up. I just saw like a, a, a gif of it rather than an actual yeah. video, so I was a bit confused on where it was and who it was. Um, so yeah. it seems like a, a strange thing to do when you go to a game, you know. Just to be clear, it was a plastic one. It wasn't like a porcelain one, which actually really would have done some damage. And wouldn't yeah. be, what, you think it something like that? I mean, my um, question is, did they bring they it in it with them? Yeah. Did they bring it in with them, or did they go to the bathroom during the game and rip it out? Like, what we need to know was that game played in, do we not? You tell me. I will tell you, assuming that Google tells me. Uh, the Quinta de Abril, that's Union Stadium. Because yeah. um, I saw a lot of red around it, and I thought, mm. that's a bit weird. Why are you playing I, I, I think it's more likely that they took it from the bathroom, because if not... I think so, right? Uh, ah, they, that they, makes sense. They should okay. have taken it, and, and knowing that they should throw it. Uh, <laughs> it's really... Well, strange. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that, that's... Um, it's no less strange for having come from the actual stadium bathroom, but a little bit more explicable, I guess. Yes, indeed. Uh, in the women's... Uh, I was about to say the, the women's Superliga, but it, of course, isn't the Superliga. It's just the women's first division. Um, the following results happened in the championship um, group. We're seven rounds in now, or most of the teams are seven rounds in. Um University of Buenos Aires football drew 3-3 at home to Huracan. Uh, Lanús drew 2-2 at home to Racing and Boca Juniors beat San Lorenzo 6-0. All of this played somewhat second fiddle to River Plate who went top of the championship stage with a 1-0 win away to Y Orquiza which might very well have been the lowest scoring match in the women's league at the weekend. And when I say might very well, I mean it was by some distance. Um, but it's notable because it's the first time that Y Orquiza have lost at home since November or December 2016. Cool. They were 28 months unbeaten at home. Um, we have mentioned in the past, you know, especially this year where we're making an effort to cover a bit more women's football on hand a pod, uh, that Y Orquiza's women's team are, you know, much, much better than their men's team. Um, but uh, that, that was uh, an unbeaten home record that I wasn't aware of. It means that the standings in the championship zone um, are that River atop with 17 points from seven games. Uh, Boca second with 15 points, but they've only played six. San Lorenzo third with 11 points from seven games. Why Orquiza, as I mentioned a week or two ago, had like half of their squad called up to Argentina's um, friendly or possibly friendly tour. 
um, in Australia uh, earlier in the month. And that's why there are some teams who've played more than others, because they all have games in hand which are against Wyorkisa. So Wyorkisa are currently fourth on nine points, but they've only played four games, which means that they are eight points behind River with three in hand. So in fact, if they were to win the games in hand, they would still go ahead of River. Um, and of course, if Boca were to you know, beat Wyorkisa in, in their own game in hand, they would, they would also leapfrog River into first place. Racing are fifth with eight points on six games. And uh, Uber Football, University of Buenos Aires, have four points from seven. Huracan have three points from seven. Lanús have two points from six games. Uh, River might not be top if everybody else wins their games in hand, but they are the only team unbeaten in the championship zone. And in the relegation zone, El Porvenir, whose women's team I'm not familiar with, but who are also clearly a club um, with a much better women's team than men's team, if they've got a side at the top flight, beat Deportivo Moron 3-2. Atlanta lost 6-1 at home to, Fla- uh, to Platense. Estudiantes de la Plata lost 3-2 at home to Excursionistas de Buenos Aires. And Villa San Carlos lost 4-1 at home to Independiente. Um, which means that Platense topped that group. I'm not sure how many teams get relegated. Does anyone know? I have no idea. Yeah, I think it's the bottom two, but I'm talking off the top of my head there. Moron and Atlanta. Oh, Moron have finally got some points on the board since we last mentioned them, because they didn't have any at all last time we talked about this. Um, Moron are 8th with 2 points Atlanta are 7th with 3 points and then there's quite a big gap because El Porvenir have a game in hand over both of them and have 8 points Excursionistas on 9 also with a game in hand so their game in hand is obviously against each other Villa San Carlos on 9 Estudiantes on 11 Independiente on 16 and Platense on 17 um, other than that news about River becoming the first team to beat Y Orquiza in Y Orquiza Stadium since the beginning of time um, there's not an awful lot else that I can add we've already talked of course about how the Superliga the, not the Superliga the women's um, <laughs> first division is going to be made professional in fairly short order um, and now we'll move on to listeners questions I think unless anyone's yeah. got anything to add no let's let's have some questions yeah? this is, well is this an original uh, stuff with the yes we've got a question right yeah. we have ah, had yes. a couple of questions about San Lorenzo okay. so we will talk about it in a second uh, first of all, I'm going to go through the ones that are on email, um, because I always forget if I don't do. And indeed, the first one of them is about San Lorenzo. Perfect. It's from Jimmy Lee, who runs the Belgrano in English Twitter account. He says, what do you know about this? And it's actually about San Lorenzo passing, because what he sent me is a link to a tweet saying that, as well as San Lorenzo, Banfield, Tigre, Huracan and Patronato are in the oven due to irregularities that... Um, Translating on the fly from Spanish, by the way, in case you didn't notice. Um, They have adulterated their sworn declarations to the courts and have been paying in um, post-dated checks uh, and don't have any actual funds in their banks to cover them. The Superliga is going to announce um, point deductions and relegations in the office, in an escritorio, the most feared three words in Argentine football. Uh, this is a Twitter journalist who I've never heard of before who says that he's a master of journalism in English and writes for Clarín and he's making a big thing about the fact that this information comes from Mariano Kloss's website, no, um, radio programme is what I meant to say. So, we need to give some background here. First of all, San Lorenzo were paying their players in cheques 
which isn't allowed by the Superliga. You have to pay them by um, bank, by bank transfer, transfer yeah. because you know they have to try and look like they're not money laundering now these days in Argentine football. That is one of the things the Superliga was actually you know brought in to do was to try and make everything a little bit more honest and above board, or at least to make it appear more honest and above yes. board. Um, San Lorenzo have been found to be playing their players by checks and possibly to be behind on some payments. I'm not sure about the exact details. And they are going to have six points taken off, not from their current season standings, but the start of next season. So they're going to start the 2019-20 Superliga season with minus six points. Um, what do we know about these other clubs having been given this sanction? I didn't know anything, but I've been proofreading for a few days and not really keeping up to date with news. So I'm going to throw this open to the floor. Right, so as far as I understand, the big issue with San Lorenzo, uh, aside from... Uh, not actually having the money to pay players comes from um, certain bonuses that were in players' contracts, mm-hmm. which I believe were um, were in dollars. So what happened was obviously um, huh. in 2018 there was a hundred percent rise in the dollar against the peso. Not a hundred percent devaluation because that would mean the peso was worth zero. It's a common misconception yes. in economics, yes. which. I'm trying to get used to because it's very much easier to say it devalued 100%, but it's not correct. Um, which, obviously, San Lorenzo is a club that owns primarily in pesos, aside from their their commitments in the Copa Libertadores and Sudamericana, which come in in dollars. dollars. Uh, that wasn't good for him, as it wasn't good for, um, for many of the clubs. Uh, so, as far as I understand, what they did were was... Go talk to the players and negotiate a kind of a rejigging of these bonuses, um, kind of adjusting them, I guess. So they'd be paid in pesos at a given value to the dollar rather than being. Yeah, I don't know if it would be, you know, renegotiating it at 20 pesos to the dollar or something like that, but basically, yeah, cutting the value down to make sure they didn't go under because of these commitments in dollars. Yeah. Uh, And it seems that this renegotiation was overlooked when they came to writing out their sworn tax statements and showing kind of their their turnover and, and expenses mm-hmm. uh, which obviously isn't isn't ideal it's kind of very creative accounting let's say um, oh so they were claiming some expenses that were much higher than their actual expenses in other words I believe so I think what's kind of got them in trouble is more this creative accounting than than the fact that they've been paying players in post-dated checks. As someone who has been paid in post-dated checks in Argentina and then seen them bounce, I must say I sympathise with the players involved. Um, San Lorenzo hold that this was all kind of consensuated with the players, they were all on board and the fact that this came out in the sworn statements was... I must say, but neither here nor there, they're going to regularise the situation, there's no reason to take points, and that this, kind of, the fact that they've been singled out by Superliga, because I think Superliga on Monday even held a press conference to to kind of sit down and explain just how naughty San Lorenzo have been. Mm-hmm. Which is a funny thing to do when it's point out that charges took, and that San Lorenzo have the New right to. Last season though as well. They did, yeah. Uh, that was because of unpaid transfer fees, I, yeah. be, I believe, yeah. Um, but I don't think they held a press conference before the appeal and everything had been no, done, which is not. strange. Um, obviously, 
this being Argentina, there's always a conspiracy angle. Um, Marcelo Tinelli, who is San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo's vice president, but widely recognised as you know, the power behind the throne, let's say, mm. um, is working very hard for one of the possible opposition candidates in the upcoming elections to Mauricio Macri. Uh, Matias Lamins, who is that, that the... Is, as in the upcoming Argentine presidential yes. elections rather than the upcoming elections of San Lorenzo. Precisely. And Matias Lamins, who is the president... Um, of San Lorenzo. Of San Lorenzo, is a possible candidate to run on kind of this same <laughs> ticket as the next mayor of Buenos Aires, again against Mauricio Macri and, and his candidate for mayor. So... Who's going to be what? Daniel Akinisi? Um, Rodriguez Larreta has one term left after that oh, he's going to go for another term is he? God. Yeah. no he's about the I think he's the government candidate who's actually ahead in the polls out of all of them so yeah they'd be, they wouldn't get rid of him in a hurry um, so yeah there's this political backdrop which I don't buy too much because it does look like they have been cooking the books it does seem strange to me that out of all of the 25 clubs in Argentina, San Lorenzo would be the only club uh, that were using such methods. Mm. And in fact, if in fact this uh, journalist is correct with his reporting of another person's information, I guess, um, yeah, there's more than one involved. We should mention, by the way, that I scrolled a little bit down the um, Twitter thread or, well, the, the tweet and the replies to it that Jimmy sent me. Um, and that there were various links to the fact that Patronato, at least, are quite insistent that they are in the black mm-hmm. um, and that everything's above board, that their payments are all up to date and that this isn't going to happen, which is another reason that I just wanted to point out that this is a tweet that's based on information from uh, Mariano Kloss's radio show, which is not always the most trustworthy, although they do get some stories before others. Andres? Also, the, there were problems, not problems, but the river, the balance uh, was uh, mm-hmm. not negative, I, I, if I am not wrong. Uh, that, that apparently, or at least have, uh, uh, regarding what River member or board members or even Donofrio, Donofrio said, it was because they didn't take into account, or it was like the the deadline was before the Copa others finished, so that they couldn't input the incomes uh, from right. that. Uh, Mm-hmm. Competition and but they also said that they will have problems with this with the contracts, re, uh, taking into account that they were uh, also in dollars uh, with the, that currency and now of course there is forty three peso one peso is forty three dollars and yeah when when a lot of these contracts were signed there was anywhere 20 between twenty and thirty or whatever depending on when last <laughs> so, year that so was I don't know whether River is safe from this yeah. Uh, we shall see. Um, Ese Todoroki had the other question via email, and it was essentially we've just answered it, I hope, because he said, Can you give us a brief explanation of what's going on with San Lorenzo regarding six points being taken off? So yeah, we can say at the moment the appeal is has been filed, and I can't say I hold much hope for San Lorenzo because it does look like they've done something at least. But if they fall, we'll have to see how many teams go down with them. Yeah. Indeed. Um, somebody called Dot, um, whose Twitter at is 8888888, says, I see the Superliga ends on April the 6th this season. I'm planning a trip to Buenos Aires next year between the 3rd and the 13th of April. It's impossible to predict, I would imagine, but will both weekends have football on? 
Now, I've already replied to him, as have a couple of other people, um, on Twitter to give him some advice specific to his or hers, I should say, because uh, we don't know what gender the person is, um, to that situation. Um, but in as much as it was tweeted to the Hand of Pod account and, um, you know, it's a question about how next season's going to work, it's a pretty easy answer from our point of view on the podcast. We don't know. No. Uh, we still don't know what the championship's going to look like next season. We know there are going to be 20... Hang on, how many teams are in it this year? It's 26 this There'll year. There'll be 24 so next year, so 23 games. 24 next year. Uh, but we don't know whether that's just going to be one round of 23 games. We don't know whether it's going to be split into two groups of 12 teams or three groups of eight teams or four groups of six teams or what, um, followed by knockout stages. Everything's up in the air. No, so, no. in short, don't know. Um, do get in touch with me if you're coming next season and you know closer to the time and, and uh, we can see what happens and, and I can give you some more advice. You think there will be some sort of football, at least? Kind of this year, they've done yeah. the Copa Superliga. I mean, the Copa Superliga, I think, will, yeah. will carry over if they're not going to manage to have a whole season until yeah. then. Yeah, they wouldn't just leave leave us without football from March to, no, to June. Well, that, that would be two months during which they could be charging us for the packet de football on television. Exactly, yeah. It won't be otherwise. Um, Jamie says, what is the latest on the format and the start date of the Copa de la Superliga? How will it work? Is there a trophy? And what does it look like? So the format... While I Google the trophy, I'm going to let one of you two explain the format. There's a tweet above which explains yes. perfectly the format much easier than I can do off the, the top the of my head. I think it's Liam Kelly, the one yes. who's not related to you. Hang on a second, then. I'll just uh, I'll do it myself. Um, so Liam Kelly says, essentially, yeah, what, what I was going to say, uh, teams 7 to 26 in the final Superliga table go into the first round, so that's 10 teams in total, uh, sorry, 20 teams in total, Uh, 7th place 26th, 8th place 25th, etc. The top 6 go in at the second round. So in other words, those first 20 teams will all play each other. And Liam hasn't put this, but it's going to be the first uh, 10 fixtures are going to be played just one-off matches. Mm -hmm. I think that the team finishing higher in the league table gets to play at home, but they might be played in neutral stadiums, I'm not sure. Um, Along with the top 6 in the league, those will go into a a last 16, therefore, and then you have a straight knockout. After which, as Liam says, knockout format, two legs, away goals used, penalties if it's still level, so no extra time. And then the final will be a single match in a neutral venue with extra time and penalties if needed. Thank you for that, Liam. I've just Googled Copa de la Superliga Trofeo, and the only results that I have found look... I mean, that looks quite similar to me, to the actual Superliga Trofeo. Ah, okay, here we go. We've got one. That looks absolutely bloody awful. I'm shocked. Oh my god. Is that an Easter egg? It looks, it's just a sort of flat circle with a pedestal stand type thing Christ. and the Superliga logo on it. Why even it's bother crap. to win that? Um, Take a break. Yeah, yeah, go on holiday for two months. It's silver, gold, it's hard to say on that photo. Uh, anyway, just like most of the newly designed Argentine trophies, you know, they, they come up with a different trophy to award, or they used to anyway, with the Primera División before the Superliga came in. Um, it kind of looks like something a, a hip-hop star would put on the hood of his Cadillac. It does a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Only presumably much bigger. Yeah. Although there's no person standing next to it, so it's difficult to say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the winners of the Primera División for about the last 20 years or something got a, another trophy that was designed by whoever won a competition at the University of Buenos Aires Design Department or something, uh, along with 
the actual original Primera División de Argentina uh, trophy, which is, you know, looks like an old football trophy and proper. Anyway, uh, that hopefully answers your question, Jamie. And thank you very much for your help with it, Liam. No Art says, will you share opinion on the matter that Argentina lost with Messi to Venezuela and without him beat Morocco? Is his presence paralysing other players or is, are, are the roots of the problem deeper and he might be not much liked or appreciated and therefore they are trying less while he's in the squad? Yeah, clearly Messi's rubbish and he hurts the team being on the pitch. The, the, the facts don't lie, surely. There you go, that's what you wanted to hear, isn't it? No, a little bit more seriously, um, I'd say that you'd have to take into account the levels of, of the opposition. I think that Venezuela p- played far better than, than Morocco, at least. Mm. Kind of they're much more incisive going forward, um, much, much more solid. Uh, the conditions... In uh, Tangier, didn't help either of the teams really attacking because there was pretty much a hurricane force wind the entire match and that makes going forward very hard. I mean, uh, uh, Venezuela is a very direct approach, approach in Madrid. Can you imagine that happening with the ball swirling around like a, like yeah. a fucking yo-yo in, in Tangier? It's a different match. And also, uh, Argentina were much more solid at the back, let's say against Morocco because they had a, a sensible defensive system which which always helps mm. um, no it's, it's two different games I think if Messi's on the field Argentina are, are always going to have a better chance because he's Messi if, if Messi had not played the first game and had played the second game then Argentina would still have lost to Venezuela and beaten Morocco yes I don't think that's in too much doubt with the team. Yeah, if you don't change any that's, of That's not to say that he doesn't make a difference in matches that actually matter, mm-hmm. but, you know, Andres. And apart from that, just the match that Scalini said that you sh- we should uh, uh, get rid of or not take into account is the most important of both because he's from, they are from South America and they could uh, play against them in Copa, Copa America, not against Morocco. Mm. Uh, so, yes, the conditions of the pitch or the, or the wind or... Etc. Of course, were uh, uh, important, but uh, I think that uh, from both uh, from this, yes, the one that you could say, uh, say that was more important was against Venezuela because they are from this continent. Yeah, yeah we can add that in three matches against potential Copa America opponent, opponents, and indeed one actual opponent, uh, Argentina are yet to win under Scaloni. They've had two defeats against Venezuela and uh, Brazil. I believe they lost 1-0 in a Superclásico de las Américas. And they drew 0-0 against Colombia, the team against whom they will begin this year's campaign. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I was struggling to remember the Brazil game and then I remembered it was the day that it I It was one to miss as well. Really bad. Trip, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Dawson says, where would the top Superliga teams finish? If they were plopped into the Premier League, La Liga, the Bundesliga, etc. Not very high indeed. No. Uh, if you consider that the best team on the South American continent, River, were held to a draw by Alain, that kind of says yeah. it all, I think. Uh, they probably should have beaten Alain if they hadn't had a monumental Copa Libertadores hangover, but still, they weren't streets ahead, I don't think, by any means, and... I'd say the best teams would be fighting tooth and nail against relegation in the Premier League, I think if this, not in the Championship. This well, season's top four, if, you know, obviously defensively with DCR having an exceptional season, you know, a club historical season. 
Um, and so it's difficult to, to sort of say for them. But the level that Boca and River have been operating on for the last couple of years, I mean, it, it's a slightly awkward question as well, because I think that we can mostly agree that that, that on most metrics, Boca and River are probably the top two teams in Argentina. Oh, yeah. They're not that. actually the top yeah. two in the league. So I don't want to disrespect no, no, no. myself. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that if you gave them a couple of seasons in a European league, then they could be lower mid-table. Um, with the current squads, you know, obviously after a couple of seasons, you, the economy would start to kick in as well and, and they'd start to get strong enough to maybe attract a few players to these, what are, after all, pretty historic and famous teams. Yeah, of course, um, you have to remember in the Premier League the they would season, struggle, but yeah. they also don't have the billion pounds a year that... Um, of TV money to get pumped in. So. The, te- the team that finishes 20th this season in the Premier League and gets relegated, whoever that happens to be, um, are going to have had income um, from the last 12 months when that happens that's going to be various, several multiples of what River run for winning the Copa Libertadores. So it, it's a slightly unfair question. Not that I'm suggesting that Daniel yes, was, you know necessarily wanting it to be a fair question and I don't mean that in a a critical way of Daniel it's an interesting question to consider I think that the top four at the moment would be just about safe in those leagues if they managed to to transfer that form over Mm. and of course the other thing that you have to factor in is that River and Boca would actually be taking every league presumably would be taking every league fixture seriously rather than chucking half the season away by you think so uh, and they don't play that often against uh, European clubs but for example well, River lost to Alain, which is not from Europe, but Boca played from the last last year against Barcelona, losing it 3-0 mm. when Barcelona wasn't that brilliant. In the Trofeo Jean Gamper, yes. yeah, at the start of the season. Um, so that gives a little uh, like show of what they can do when go abroad. And it does, but then at the same time, in matches like that, Barcelona aren't taking it entirely seriously. They're not trying to score seven and or eight Boca goals. neither, to be honest. They've just yeah. had a transatlantic flight. They've got exactly. Um, so it's, it's difficult to really judge. Yeah. Uh, Tom Robinson says, what are your thoughts? He's getting down to the real nitty gritty and uh, the issues that matter here. What are your thoughts on Te De Boldo? One of the few Argentine things I can't just, I just can't get behind is disgusting. Um, I've never tried it. It, it. It's a sort of, it's a tea, basically. I think I might have had it once to calm a, a dicky tummy, but that's about it. Yeah. I don't think it, yeah. No. So none of us have any thoughts, Tom. Sorry. Um, Nick says, with the English FA taking steps recently to limit the number of players a team can loan out, how is the loan system used in Argentina? Do they have clubs with many players out on loan like Chelsea? Or is it a platform for young players and unfashionable teams to prosper? No, the loan system is used hugely in Argentina for the very simple fact that most teams don't have enough money to buy players outright. If you look at Defensive Cordicia's team, for example, probably a good 60-70% are loanees. Or at least guys not on a um, permanent contract or among the, the club. Among the bigger clubs, if there are players on loan at those bigger clubs, and they're probably on loan from foreign clubs, say, for yeah. instance, Juan Fernando Quintero was on loan at River before they bought him from Porto. Um, but then those bigger clubs will have a number of players out on loan to smaller clubs at any one time, yeah. I mean, nothing like the level of the Chelsea have got 42 or 43 players out on loan or something like yeah. that. Uh, there's nothing quite on that level but um, there are clubs who've got yeah. sort of 10 or 12 players out yeah no it's very normal the same it's, it's, not true, very well it's true of clubs like Newell's as well who will loan clubs to will loan players to 
other Santa Fe province-based yeah. sides in the lower divisions Lanús as well. always so lining not... a lot of players to Atlanta because there's yeah. good connections. It's a funny one as well because it's not really very well reported at times. Uh, what's, yeah. a, uh, what's a loan and what's a per- permanent transfer? So sometimes you've been, you know, watching a team normally and all of a sudden after like four years, some guy will come back. It's like, where the fuck is he in? I was on line at seven different clubs for the last four years. The other thing that happens is that television commentators, like if a player scores against a club who he is on loan from, yes. and it's not been particularly well reported, a lot of the time the commentators say, oh, he scored against his ex-club. Yeah. And there won't be any mention that actually it's his current club. But when they be... give out a player on loan, they also sometimes, not, not always, sign a clause mm. that uh, make the other team to pay money if they want to play yeah. that much. But then equally, that often, that sometimes also happens when they sell a player. They'll sign a clause yes. in, that, in the contract saying, if you want to play him against us in the next season, but why did, did you send him alone then? To pay us an extra <laughs> bit of transfer fee or something, which is stupid. Anyway, uh, Nick also says, how is the international break viewed in Argentina? Is it dreaded as a boring pause to domestic football like in England before they were good? Or is it a welcome chance to see how the national team is faring and to see all of the, inverted commas, good Argentine players? I think this one in particular has felt like a waste of time. A because neither of the matches were was particularly inspiring, even even and on we paper. Haven't, we haven't got to see all of the good Argentine well, players, <laughs> indeed. And B because you're two weeks away from the end of the season, hmm. and it was just this kind of like when you're going into a cliffhanger in some TV show, and they switch to a commercial break. It's like no, fucking, oh, I just want to see the end of this. Don't do this to me. Yeah. That basically, yeah. Um, uh, generally, there is kind of there's always a bit of a buzz around the Argentina team, right? At least it gets reported. It's a topic of conversation. Like when Argentina play, people pay attention. I don't know if that's always been the case for England over the years. Perhaps a little bit more now that they're that they're doing better. Well, I mean, I always think that, that it's one of the few um, countries which has a similar level of support for the national team to England, yeah. for me. I, I, you know, um, well, I mean, when, when, when there are World Cups, you know, the teams that always sell the most tickets are United States, England, Germany, Argentina. No, but By I mean... Large, for, they're, they're the nations that send the most fans, regardless of where the tournament's being held in the world. But I mean, for two England friendlies, I don't know, some March or whatever. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. Comparing friendly with, with friendly, I think there's... The amount of talk that's been given to this these two Argentina friendlies is just outstrips anything you could see in England for their equivalent games. Partly because England doesn't have three or four different cable television channels devoted solely to sport. And this is true. Point for England. Point constantly. for England. Yeah. They and are a plague. Doesn't have any daily newspaper dedicated solely to sport. And Another point for word, England. The word newspaper is very thoroughly in between inverted commas there, by the way. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, sort of. It's seen as perhaps a bit of a nuisance by a lot of people, but it doesn't really stop. I mean, the consumption of football doesn't ever end anyway. Um, Tom Robinson is back uh, to say it looks like uh, that um, Belgrano in English responded with a recommendation for Tede Boldo, and and Tom is thanking him for that, essentially. And that's it. Those are all the questions, which means that after this next little piece of theme music, you're going to hear Mystic Sam's predictions for the week to come which I'm not even going to note down this time because I haven't put them up on the blog for the last few yeah. months and nobody's complained uh, and nobody's <laughs> playing against me anyway. So let's just uh, take this as a chance for me to tell you what I think of each match. Don't go away.
Okay, as we get ready to restart the Superliga season, I'll just remind you of where we are in the league table. There are two games to go. Racing and Defensive Justicia play one another on the final weekend of the season in just over a week's time. And are currently separated by four points. Racing have 55 and Defensive Justicia have 51. Which means that if Racing win this weekend, regardless of what happens in Defensive Justicia's match, Racing will be champions with a game still to go. If Racing draw and Defensa y Justicia don't win, Racing will also be champions. Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, any other combination of results, i.e. if Racing don't win, and, or if Racing, if Racing draw and Defensa y Justicia do win, or if Racing don't win, um, then uh, we could well have a playoff next week. Unless, of course, both teams lose, in which case Racing are also champions. Uh, Boca are third with 47 points, River Plate us fourth with 42 points. And Atletico Tucumán in fifth and in the top Sudamericana spot are on 39. So there's a little bit of interest in who can finish fourth, whether that'll be River or Atletico Tucumán. Uh, and then there are a whole load of teams between seventh place and uh, 13th place who are only separated by three points. Go back and listen to last week's episode if you want a resume, uh, a review of how the Copa Sudamericana positions are at the moment. Basically, the from 5th uh, down to ninth of the team going into the Sudamericana. So here we go. This weekend, Newell's Old Boys are at home to Huracan on Friday evening. I'm going for a draw in that game because they're both rubbish. Boca Juniors are playing on Friday as well. Because they play on next Tuesday. I was going to say, yeah, I haven't actually looked at next year's Libertador, uh, next week's Libertadores fixtures, but it, uh, whenever Boca or River play on Friday, I always assume that they've got a game on Tuesday in the Copa. Um, they are at home to Banfield, and I'm going to predict a Boca win in that game. On Saturday, San Lorenzo have the lunchtime kickoff against Gimnasia in Bajo Flores. I'm going to go for a Gimnasia win. They won a couple of games recently, though, San Lorenzo. They have, yeah, but they haven't actually looked any much better. Well, no. But... Mind you, Gimnasia are also pants. Yes. Basically, don't watch that don't game. Don't watch that game. Um, it might be funny Gimnasia... in a... Painful way, but yeah, still it's yeah. not working. Sorry, but I think we didn't mention about San Lorenzo uh, ban or uh, fine. Yeah, that they won't be able to hire. I don't know if he said I didn't listen. <laughs> oh, they've been back I didn't mention players yeah. as well, haven't they? This, yeah, this right. winter. Yeah, um, yeah. They've also got a transfer ban uh, for. It's only for one transfer window, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. For 2019, um, basically. Mm, yeah. Well remembered, Andres, thank you. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I think Ignacio will win it, but don't bother watching it. Uh, Godoy Cruz versus Patronato is the 3.30 kickoff. Dun, dun, dun. I think Patronato will get a win there. Mm. Um, in the relegation zone, sorry, I just realised I haven't refreshed everyone's memory of the relegation battle. Um, Patronato are three points clear of Belgrano, San Martín de San Juan and Tigre in the relegation battle. So, so I think that Patronato will, will be up. They'll stay up. Yeah, they, they, they've looked impressive. I mean, that would, depending on everybody else's results... It, That'd be it fantastic, because it means Tigre can just take it easy. With three to go. Um, Independiente host Vélez Sarsfield, and I think that that's going to be a Vélez win. Tacheres are at home to River, and I think that River will win that. A lot of away wins this week. Yeah, I am, aren't I? Ooh. I think it's mostly because the stronger teams are away. Huh. Controversial, I know. Defensa Justicia at home to Union and Tigre at home to Racing, both kicking off at the same time, 10 past 6 on Sunday evening. 
For some reason, my app has got the fixtures all in the wrong order. Um, I'm going to go for... I mean, it's tricky, this, really, knowing... I know what I want to happen. strong games. But ultimately, I'm going to go with my head rather than my heart. I think that both Defensa y Justicia and Racing will get wins in those two games. And therefore, that Racing will be champions with the game still to go. Lovely. (coughs) Allowing us to concentrate on the really exciting part of the Superliga for the last weekend, which is, of course, who qualifies for the Copa Sudamericana. (laughs) On Sunday... The 11 o'clock in the morning kickoff, that's Argentine time. Yes, I'm not doing this in some different time zone. Is Atletico Tucumán versus Aldo City. I think that that's going to be an Atletico Tucumán win. Uh, two games kick off at quarter past one. Argentinos Juniors versus Rosario Central and Lanús versus Belgrano. I think that those are going to be wins for Argentinos and Lanús. Um, and then on Sunday, a little bit later, obviously, are the two games that I just mentioned, Defensa versus Union and Tigre versus Racing. And then on Monday, Estudiantes against San Martín de Tucumán should be an Estudiantes win. <coughs> Excuse me. And Colón versus San Martín de San Juan. San Martín, of course, one of the... San Martín de San Juan, one of the relegation-threatened sides. San Martín de Tucumán are already down. Um, I'm going to go for a San Martín de San Juan win. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I said for all of the relegation teams. The Patronato were going to win. I've just gone for San Martín de San Juan to win, so that means that Patronato wouldn't quite be safe yet. But what did I say for Belgrano? They're going to lose to Lanús. And Tigre are going to lose to Racing. So, they're still going to... According to those predictions, there will still be a live relegation battle next season. What will happen with Patronato? (coughs) Sorry, Andres. If if they have the same problem than San Lorenzo regarding this... Well, the San Lorenzo fight is, is at the start of next season rather than... So it wouldn't affect this season, season, I'm guessing. And Patronato yeah. won't have any, any other season in first division. If they have this problem, they should have uh, quit this, the point. They should have their points quit for this season. Not no, that would be an absolute scandal if they can do that. I mean, if, if the regulation is to take... If, if the decision on San Lorenzo has been to take points away at the start of next season, then I can't see how they can justify yeah. taking... The protocol in these situations well, is always for the next season. Although, uh, well, Newell's had theirs taken away, I think it was two games into the season. Well, yeah. But, it, of course, the problem then with Patronato is if they get relegated, how does the Superliga convince the Bay Nacional? You know, I mean, sure, it would they probably be happen anyway. They'd probably sound with the effort, but technically they're separate organisations. Yeah. They should be so down to Bay Nacional. until the next time they get promoted. Yeah. <laughs> they should be down, go down to Bay Nacional, and in, for Bay Nacional, that point will be out, or mm. will be taken off. But yes. still, as I said earlier... Patronato claims to have everything above board and yes. they're confident that they can appeal. Um, so we'll see what actually ends up happening. We will, of course, be able to give you more updates on that situation uh, next week. And we'll be able to tell you about how exciting all of the matches that I've just mentioned were, if indeed they were, uh, or how dull they were if they weren't exciting. As this is coherent in the team, in the, 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 the fixtures, is that uh, on Sunday morning and, me, and noon are the worst matches. So, uh, I think Always. that, that yeah, is... Yeah. Atletico took a man against Aldo Sibi. Atletico, okay, will play good football, but I don't think it's going to be that much of a, an interesting game, given Aldo Sibi's record in recent matches. They're not fantastic, are they? Um, so much contempt in that, uh, in that record. I love it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> my throat started to go a bit... You know, it was a really good thing that we recorded on Wednesday and not Thursday last week because if we'd recorded on Thursday, I wouldn't have been able to. I lost my voice on Thursday. I was talking like this.
this all day. Literally. And on Friday as well. Um, and uh, having finally got over my sore throat and, and cold just yesterday, uh, all of this amount of talking, as you might be able to hear, is making it go again, which is why I've started to cough. We still have a hand upon extra to get through for our Patreon supporters. Thank you very much, by the way, to our Patreon supporters. And if you want to become one of them and get to hear even more of us talking complete crap uh, in a few minutes' time, uh, then please go along to patreon.com slash handofpod and sign up there at the level that you want to sign up at. Uh, thank you also to our sponsors, Fanatis. Remember that you can support us. Um, even just going along to the link helps to support us. But if you want to sign up as well, then that's fantastic. Go along to fntz.co co slash HOP and use the discount code HOPFZ if you want 20% off your first three months with Fanatis. Uh, for now, it's thanks and goodbye, and we'll see you next week from English Dan. Goodbye. Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. And me. Goodbye. <laughs>